Hi and welcome to our time of worship together from St Ninian's Church in Stonehouse. My name is Stuart and I get to be the minister here. As always, it's our pleasure to have you join us from wherever you are. We always enjoy hearing from you, so please say hello in the comments and if you enjoy our time together and don't want to miss any future videos, then you can like our Facebook page or subscribe to our YouTube channel. This service is also available every week as a podcast on all your usual podcast places like Apple, Google and Spotify. You can find the links and all of our previous services on the website at saint-ninians-stonehouse.org.uk. For those of you who will be dropping off food at the food bank today between 1 and 2pm, the collection point this week is the hall door. That's because we are painters working in the entrance to the church. Our friends at Cruden Builders have very generously donated their time and resources to paint for us and we very much appreciate their help. Finally, our Lent Bible study starts on Thursday, that's the 25th of February at 7.30pm on Zoom. The joining details are on the screen and also on the Facebook page and on the website.
This week I'm joined by Catherine and Lewis Epps and as Lewis reads our scripture for us today, it might seem more than a little familiar. We read from Mark chapter 1 verses 9 to 15. Not long afterwards, Jesus came from Nazareth in the province of Galilee and was baptised by John in the Jordan. As soon as Jesus came up out of the water, he saw heaven opening and the Spirit coming down on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my own dear Son, I am pleased with you. At once the Spirit made him go into the desert, where he stayed forty days, being tempted by Satan. Wild animals were there also, but angels came and helped him. After John had been put in prison, Jesus went to Galilee and preached the good news from God. The right time has come, he said, and the kingdom of God is near. Turn away from your sins and believe the good news. Sometimes when we have trouble sleeping, we listen to one of those sleep meditation things on an app called Headspace. It always starts the same way. Here we are, where the ocean meets the land. A lovely beach surrounded by rocky cliffs, and in moments we're asleep. The calm voice and the repetition with a breathing exercise thrown in seems to be enough to soothe us to sleep. It's almost become a joke. Neither of us have ever heard longer than five minutes of the description of a beach and the sand and the waves. Repetition, familiarity, they can cause us to relax, and that can, of course, be a good thing. But we can also become so familiar with something that we take it for granted or even ignore it. So here we are again, back at the same verse of chapter 1 in Mark's Gospel for the third or maybe fourth time. I've said before that there are ten sermons in every passage, but this is really starting to put that theory to the test. We've spoken about Jesus' baptism, about John, about ideas of confession and forgiveness. We've also spoken about Jesus' mission. So what's left? Well, it's the first Sunday in Lent, so we have this reading again because of two verses verses 12 and 13. And the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness for 40 days, tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild beasts, and the angels waited on him. We always get readings about the temptation of Jesus on the first Sunday in Lent. I'm guessing that's because we've had four whole days of giving up chocolate or crisps or alcohol or whatever you might have chosen to go without for Lent. And we all know that making it beyond the first few days is the hardest part. So, we get Jesus alone in the wilderness for 40 days, surrounded by wild animals with nothing to eat. I think that's maybe supposed to be an encouragement. Look, Jesus managed 40 days with nothing, so step away from the M&Ms. Of course, there's something in all that. We fast in Lent to help us wake up from a regular pattern. The grumbling Tommy is supposed to point us back to the purpose of fasting, to help us focus more on God. For us, the constant battle where we unconsciously go to the fridge and the voice reminds us that we've given up the thing we're going for, it's supposed to have the same effect. Oh, I'm not supposed to eat this. That's because I'm supposed to be focusing on God and, oh, now I am. At least, that's how it's supposed to work. And that's all fine. In fact, it's good. Anything that reminds us to think more about God must surely be a good thing. The other thing that's missing is an account of the three temptations Jesus faced. You need to look in Matthew and Luke's Gospels for those. Mark, as usual, takes a much more sparse approach. So to boil these two verses down to giving up crisps would be to miss out on more than a packet of cheese and onion. As usual, 
Mark packs an amazing amount into just two sentences in verses 12 and 13. Although I think he cheats a bit in the second one with all those semicolons, but still, his economy of words is impressive. Mark tells us that immediately after Jesus' baptism, the Spirit drove him out into the wilderness. Drove him out. This wasn't a decision by Jesus to go on some kind of silent retreat. He was driven by the Spirit. There was no celebration after the baptism, no party, no cards, gifts or cake. Jesus was driven out into the wilderness. But why? Why not just get on with his ministry? After all, God's just said that he's pleased with Jesus. Perhaps Jesus is a bit like an athlete. He can be fit, but not quite competition ready. In football they call it match sharpness. Jesus has been preparing for this for his whole life. But now it's time for that final bit of preparation. The wilderness is a place of huge significance. It's where Moses and the Hebrew slaves became the nation of Israel, God's people. But it took them a while to work it all out. 40 years of mistake after mistake until they finally realised that God was serious about them. But they didn't leave behind slavery in Egypt without some persuasion. The story tells us of the angel of death killing the firstborn Egyptians. And as the Israelites crossed the water, they were chased by an army. They were driven into the wilderness too. There was no choice, no going back. It's not a place you would choose to spend any length of time. Never mind 40 days. Jesus didn't pack for the trip. We don't hear that he pitched his tent, set up his camping stove, settled down in his down-filled sleeping bag to enjoy a good book. He was in the wilderness for 40 days, tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beasts. And the angels waited on him. 40 days, that's the biblical number for ages. Longer than a month. Longer than the time it took for the moon to complete a full cycle because out there in the wild, that's pretty much the only thing to mark time. Day after day after day of, well, more days. They say the devil makes work for idle hands, so perhaps it's no surprise that Jesus was tempted by Satan, the accuser. Unlike the other Gospels with their three big moments of temptation for Jesus to turn stone into bread or to jump and let the angels catch him or to bow down before Satan and rule all the kingdoms of the world. We only have this short mention that he was tempted, but it seems the temptation lasted the 40 days, which for me seems more likely. Temptations aren't often one-time only things, are they? If I was to give up chocolate, then every time I saw that bar of M&M's chocolate with peanuts sitting on the table, I'm going to be tempted. And sometimes that temptation will be stronger than others. But unless I throw it out, it's still going to be there, with its bright yellow wrapper and its delicious chocolate filled with crunchy peanuts. But I don't think chocolate was Jesus' problem. He was there with the wild animals. And this is where we really start to miss stuff. Yes, there are wild animals in the wilderness. Lions and wild dogs and even bears. So, on one level, their mention is just an acknowledgement that they're there, in the wilderness. It's a dangerous and unpredictable place. But there's more. Mark's Gospel is linked closely to some of the other writings in the Bible. And those links might give us some hints about what could be going on here. Mark quotes the prophet Isaiah just a few verses earlier. And Isaiah paints an amazing picture of what's known as the peaceable kingdom, where the lion and the lamb lie down together. So Jesus, sometimes called the lamb of God, could literally be 
living side by side with the lions in harmony. It's a sign of the coming of the new kingdom where peace and harmony will reign. After all, Jesus is the word who was with God at the creation of all things. Mark's gospel is most similar to the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. They're both what we would call apocalyptic writings. And remember, apocalypse doesn't mean the end of the world in some disastrous fashion. It means revelation. These books reveal something important about God. If I was to ask you what story about Daniel you remember, I'm guessing it's Daniel in the lion's den. The story where a man faithful to God was put into a lion's den, but no harm comes to him. So this mention of wild beasts in Mark's Gospels could be an echo to that story, showing us that God is with Jesus, protecting him. But the wild beasts might also be a metaphor for the world. Mark has already set out his challenge to the empires of the world from verse 1. The dangerous beasts and wild animals could be the kingdoms and rulers of the world, who Jesus has come to challenge with his radically new way of thinking and the kingdom of God, which has come near. The final part of the puzzle is that the angels waited on him. That's the same thing we're told about Simon Peter's mother-in-law when she's raised up from illness, and the same way that Jesus will describe his own ministry, a ministry of service. John the Baptist called on people to repent and believe. Repent means to change your way of thinking, to have your mind blown. These two lines of wilderness temptation are confirmation that the empires of the world have been given notice, that things are about to change. But how will that happen? How could such powerful nations, such powerful ideas be overcome? Our usual response to something dangerous is to either run away or to avoid it or to kill it. Jesus isn't about to take either of those approaches. He will confront the empire head on with love. So repent and believe because Mark once again in just two sentences manages to blow our minds with an idea that's at the same time wonderful and terrifying. The kingdom of God has come near. So hold on to your hats because things are about to get interesting.
Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the sheepfold, and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Saviour. Lord, we echo the sentiment of the prophet as we come before you in this time of prayer. Though our world is overwhelmed by the pandemic and we are adjusting to dramatic change, though many are gravely ill and some are dying, though we miss our loved ones and continue in isolation, yet still we praise you, Lord. We thank you that you haven't abandoned us or forsaken us, but you remain here with us, knowing completely what each of us is going through and how we are handling it personally. Although we cannot always see or feel your presence, we hold on to our faith that you are here and caring for us, granting us the strength and courage to get through the challenges we face every day. We lift to you each and every individual undergoing bereavement at this time. We pray that you will be a comfort to them during this period of mourning and help them to know your pledge to be close to the broken-hearted. Please surround them with your spirit of peace and hope. We also pray for those who are suffering from COVID-19, especially those experiencing long-term post-viral symptoms, as well as those who are fighting other terminal and life-changing illnesses. We thank you for all the people working to improve the situation, all the doctors and nurses fighting to save patients' lives and caring for those who are seriously ill for all the researchers and scientists who have been working towards producing an effective vaccine, and for all the people reaching out to others in new and versatile ways, seeking to keep the most isolated people connected to their community. We thank you for everyone who has worked to bring some good out of an overwhelming and life-changing situation. And we pray that this good will continue, even when COVID-19 becomes less of a threat to us as we hope in time it will. We pray that over the coming weeks, as we see signs of spring emerging from a long and difficult winter, we will also begin to see signs that we too will soon be able to come out of lockdown and reintegrate into the community once again. We look forward to that time, Lord, a time when we will be able to join together and praise you and embrace the loved ones we've been parted from for so long. We anticipate this time with great joy and hold on to the hope that this day will come soon, that we will use our experience of the past year and learn how we can contribute positively to a world that is free from the pandemic. We pray all these things in your name, Sovereign Lord, as we join together and say the prayer Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Go, beloved children of God, to find your wilderness place amid the chaos of life, 
Find God present there, revealing the purpose of your life and in loving service, know the blessing of God, creator, source and spirit, today and always. Amen. Amen.